Hey, welcome back to Well, That's Interesting. The If This Podcast Was a Musical, These Would Be in the Orchestra edition. <laughs> Today is episode 158, Fungus in Man's Throat and Pretty Ink in Dance Floor That Sounded Like Thunder. My friends, you're probably wondering, among many things, how in the holy hell are these two topics related? Well, today, believe it or not, is all about sound. In the first half of the show, we're back on Old Medical Oddities Lane, and we're visiting a case from 2022. Over the course of that year, with every passing day, a man's voice grew progressively hoarse, and his speech became what was described as shrill and grating. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Can you believe a man's voice being described as shrill? (laughs) I digress. For this 60-year-old patient, however, there was no identifiable cause. There was nothing he could think of that could be making his breathing so labored and his voice just not his own. It was a mystery, until doctors literally performed a deep dive into his larynx. What they saw, who they saw growing there, and the epic procedure to remove all of it shall be revealed. Yeah, I'd say something living in your throat is perfect timing for spooky season. (laughs) Happy spooky season, everyone. You're welcome. (laughs) Then after the break, a dance party, an ancient, ancient dance party. My friends, a recent discovery in the Peruvian Andes suggests long before the first Europeans um, arrived in the Americas and even before the emergence of the Incan Empire, the indigenous who lived here created ceremonial platforms that simply fucking rocked. (laughs) Yes, these were dance floors, and it turns out, one, they made noises that mimicked thunder, and two, they still do to this day. Who uncovered them, how we found out they're fucking banging, and as to why they were even made, this will also be revealed. In the meantime, I'm Jill Chacha, and if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock, my melodic business goose. To begin today's show, you and I need to take a short trip in our fanciest time machine. We're heading on back just a smidge to last year, and we're landing in the dazzling state of Pennsylvania. (laughs) We're at the Geisinger Medical Center in sparkling Danville, Pennsylvania, to be exact, and we're standing beside Dr. Kenneth W. Altman, who is not having the easiest day. For you see, just a moment ago, an outwardly healthy-looking 60-year-old man entered this clinic and did his best to communicate his problem. It's not that he had trouble recalling words or crafting his story. It was nearly physically impossible to speak. With what little squawks and screeches our patient could muster, Dr. Kenny gathered the following information. Over the past 12 months, this guy had gradually lost his voice. And what words he could get out sounded hoarse and more like a garage, a garage, a garbage disposal than a human. Along with this, his breathing became arduous, like he couldn't inhale enough oxygen. And believe it or not, our guy didn't wait to seek help, which happens so often in this show. In fact, he actually visited his primary care physician first, who treated him with an inhaled corticosteroid. Now... What in the holy hell is that, you may be asking? Don't worry, I've got you. These are drugs that closely resemble cortisol, a hormone uh, that your wiry adrenal glands produce naturally. 
The goal of this steroid is to reduce inflammation, and it does this by reducing the production of chemicals that cause inflammation. Uh, this helps keep tissue damage to a minimum, and the particular corticosteroid our patient was prescribed was an inhaler, a standard one, used for asthma treatment. But as you could tell, <clears throat> that didn't do much. His symptoms hadn't improved, and they only became worse. Oddly enough, everything else about this guy seemed to be okay. Yeah. He didn't complain about any throat pain. There was no cough or difficulty swallowing. There were no weird reflux symptoms, nor was there any fever or any weight loss. This fucking guy never even smoked a cigarette, never had neck, back, throat, or head surgery. Dr. Kenny even asked if he was knowingly exposed to radiation recently because, hey, it happens. <laughs> Maybe he picked up a loose radioactive capsule on the side of the road. Check out episode 126 if you haven't, and uh, you'll see what I mean. So, with no outwardly apparent reason for his gradual clusterfuck, Dr. Kenny decided it was time. We should probably take gander inside this guy's old windpipe, which is, I'm sure, just how he phrased it word for word. Now, to examine this dude's vocal folds and larynx, the medical staff dusted off an uncomfortable-looking device to perform something called a video stroboscopy. Stay with me now. Video stroboscopy. Fantastic. Now, if anyone out there thought this is probably something like a colonoscopy, but for your mouth, yeah, you're... You're kind of right. You nailed it. Please head on over to our social media stuffs and tap on today's post. Waiting for you is a photo, I swear to God, that will make your day. Okay? It's not graphic at all. <laughs> Trust me. Okay? This is one of those fall exercises. I will catch you. Um, I did a search image for video stroboscopy, and I found this. I'll give you a second to pull it up. And I'm actually going to go ahead and do that myself right now because I feel nothing but joy when I look at this photo. Um, <laughs> it's right. I mean, if you didn't laugh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> this is funny. This is just funny. Okay. Now, I know some of you are busy. And if you're doing something dramatically important and your hands are busy, okay, please just imagine the American astrophysicist Neil deGrasse inserting a foot-long silver stick into someone's mouth. <laughs> I swear. The position in this photo is like his young doppelganger. And it's also somehow like the late 1980s. So this stick is plugged into a chunky computer. Uh, and on the screen, we can see down the throat and into the larynx of this actor patient. Uh, it, lo it, it looks like an anus. <laughs> but I assure you it's not. Um... The best thing, though, yes, now is the best thing, is the look on the physician's face. <laughs> you do not want to see your doctor make that face. This is like the precise moment he found something and was like, I've never seen this before. So maybe it really is an anus. I don't know. Anyway, this is the best photo they had and went with. Yes, it's glorious. <laughs> and I might need to get this framed. So long story short, I found this photo on voice, sorry, chicagovoicecare.com, and along with this award-winning photo is a stellar explanation of the video stroboscopy process. <laughs> sorry. Thank you, chicagovoicecare.com. Quote, visiting a laryngologist or a voice doctor or voice specialist can be slightly different. A, okay, 
<laughs> See, now that's karma. I could start it. I could do this. I'll start over. <clears throat> Quote, visiting a laryngologist or a voice doctor or voice specialist can be a slightly different experience than seeing a general ear, nose, and throat surgeon. Once your physician has referred you to an institute for voice care for assessment, you will likely undergo a laryngeal videostroposcopic examination. I nailed that. This procedure enables the doctor to assess not only the general appearance of the vocal cords or folds, but also the vibratory characteristics of the vocal cords while you make sound. There are two main approaches to seeing vocal cords in the office. One, a small camera is attached to the end of a rigid endoscope and will be placed in your mouth to look over the back of your tongue into the vocal cords and folds. This approach feels a lot like having a doctor use a large popsicle stick to see the tonsils, but we see a bit further. Number two, an even smaller camera is in a, flexible, in a flexible scope that can pass through the nose and down to the vocal cords. This camera resembles a thick piece of spaghetti, but has a powerful digital camera at the end. Because, <laughs> because the vocal cords vibrate so rapidly, a strobe light is utilized to make a slow motion representation of the vibrating vocal folds. We will usually record and save this file for reference and review." End quote. Amazing. There you have it, my friends, a frightening popsicle stick or a loose spaghetti down one of your face holes. Our patient chose one of these options, and according to medpagetoday.com, the video stroboscopy revealed, drumroll please, thank you, severe swelling of the false vocal folds and the right true vocal fold was completely immobile. What the fuck did I just say? That's it. <laughs> Great question. That was some weird talk. False vocal folds and true vocal folds. Don't worry, I've got you. Please imagine a throat. Anyone's throat. Doesn't have to be yours, could be anybody's. Now, if you will, imagine you're the stick in Neil deGrasse's hand and you've entered a patient's mouth. What a day. <laughs> when you reach the back of the mouth and look down, you see a hole. Circling the opening to that hole are the true vocal cords, and to the left and right of that tissue is even more tissue, the false vocal cords. Now, if your hands are free, or even if they're not, fuck it, just risk your life and come on over to our social media stuffs to take a peek at an actual voice box. There she is, in all her glory. Thank you. Now, back to our patient, who is in pretty bad shape, I'm not going to lie. The exam revealed severe swelling in the tissue lining the patient's vocal voice box, and this swelling was so damn bad it had caused the airway to narrow. And a whole section of his voice box was not even able to function. It couldn't move. But don't worry. It gets worse. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Brace yourself. Maybe, maybe sit down and have some water on hand. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Quote, the doctors also performed a biopsy on tissue from the man's larynx and confirmed that the tissue was swollen, irregular, and friable to the touch, meaning it tore easily. A close-up examination of the sample tissue revealed patches of dead laryngeal cells surrounded by clusters of immune cells, hinting that the cells had died off due to intense inflammation in the throat. The examination also revealed budding yeast cells, which the immune cells had surrounded and begun to engulf. End quote from Nicoletta Lanise 
of LiveScience.com. Yeah, my friends, <clears throat> my appalled business geese. <clears throat> there was a war going on in this man's small voice box, and it was between white blood cells, and you heard me right, a fungus. And at the moment, the fungus was winning. Now, I bet you have a few questions at this point, like, uh, excuse me, and how? <laughs> yes, <laughs> great questions. I'm also going to throw in who, because you might want to know who this is. Let's start with who. May I introduce you to an infection called blastomycosis. And according to our concerned friend, the CDC, this fungus lives in and loves moist soil and decomposing plant matter, such as wood and leaves. Now, if you still have today's social media post still open, please swipe through and you'll see a map of where you can find this fungus. If you're driving or performing interpretive dance at the moment, don't worry, I've got you. Please imagine the United States. Thank you. Point to its center. Fantastic. Now move your finger all the way to the east. Yep, yeah, that's it. That entire region, left to right, from the northern and southern border, is where you can find these spores. Literally half the country. Yes, yes, you're right. That is the exact, ex that look on your face is exactly right. That is a big chunk. But these spores are teeny, teeny, teeny. And what does that mean from the CDC? Quote, they're too small to see without a microscope. And when soil or, orga or organic material is disturbed, the spores can be released into the air. When people or animals breathe in the spores, they are at risk for developing blastomycosis. After the spores enter the lungs, the body temperature allows the spores to transform into yeast. It's, yeah. uh, the yeast can stay in the lungs or spread through the bloodstream to other parts of the body, such as the skin, bones and joints, organs and central nervous system, like the brain and spinal cord, end quote. God. And that, my hyperventilating business goose, is probably what happened to our patient. Now, before you decide to never step outside again, which is understandable, please know that most people exposed to the fungus don't become ill. But folks with a, folks with a weakened immune system are at a higher risk of infection. And for coming down with symptoms, which ironically happens to be everything this guy didn't have. <laughs> symptoms include a fever, cough, night sweats, muscle aches or joint pain, weight loss, chest pain, fatigue. Not only did he not exhibit these symptoms, having the fungus in his goddamn voice box was certainly unique as fuck too. It wasn't the first case of laryngeal blastomycosis, but the actual fucking second case in all record, in all recorded medical history. Well done. Uh, I looked it up. Some poor motherfucker in 1918 was the first case. That is a terrible year to get anything. God, that is just not good. So at this point, I'm sure you're grossed out and like, well, oh, okay. Um, what happened to this man? Uh, did he end up on that show with the zombie mushroom people? Well, no, but <laughs> the process to heal and remove this shit was equally epping, epic and just fucking awful. Because the dude's airway was so obstructed, he underwent surgery where a breathing tube was placed in his windpipe and a feeding tube was placed in his stomach. And my friends, he was like this for quite some time. 
He received a prescription for the antifungal drug, itraconazole, and it wasn't until two goddamn months later at a follow-up appointment had his hoarseness improved and the feeding tube could be removed. But wait, that's not all. Five months in, a new video stroboscopy revealed that the swelling had finally gone down and that paralyzed vocal fold had regained some mobility. At this point, five months into treatment, his breathing tube was removed. Five months. Um, I suppose this is a happy ending. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it, folks. Uh, he's alive and kind of well. Um, so I decided to end this segment with uh, answering the question, uh, if you're wondering what's, which state is full of Blasty the most, <laughs> just pick one. Anyone. Okay. Wisconsin. <laughs> Looking at you, Wisconsin. Congratulations. Uh, Wisconsin is coming in with the highest incidence of infection of blastomycosis. Uh, yearly rates range from 10 to 40 cases per 100,000 people. After the break. <laughs> Step aside, Soul Train. Get the fuck out of the way. Dancing with the stars. A recent discovery in South America has uncovered what could be one of the oldest dance floors ever found so far. Best of all, it makes sound effects. You're going to want to stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, your club days aren't over. Slip into something that would embarrass your mother and charge up the old time machine. We're heading on back to the year 2014. We've landed in one hell of a gorgeous place as well, a high altitude site in southern Peru called Viejo Sangayeco. Now, you might feel a little wonky as we're nearly 12,000 feet up or 3,600 meters, but don't worry, we'll get through it. My friends, the land we're standing on has been inhabited for thousands of years. And like I said at the top of the show, before the Spanish arrived and before the Inca expanded their empire, also laying claim to it, members of a regional farming and herding group called the Charcobos called it home. Put a pin in that. Right now, it's 2014, and we're standing beside a sweaty archaeologist named Kevin Lane from the University of Buenos Aires and some members of his team. We're looking down at the ground, specifically two plots of land, two giant rectangles that look a little different from the surrounding area and sound a little different if you walk across them. My groovy business goose, it's time once again. 
I'm going to ask you to pull up our social media stuffs and take a look at one of these plots. There's a photo in today's post. I'll give you a sec. In the meantime, I'm going to pull it up here as well. And just to give you a sense of its size, this is about 33 feet in diameter or 10 meters in diameter. And if you noticed, the topsoil is smooth in contrast to the rugged soil and dirt around it. There's no plant life on top of it as well. It's just a barren, big-ass platform. <laughs> and what's also peculiar about this area was when Kevin or any member of his team walked on it, each step was followed by a reverberating echo. My friends, could you imagine walking through a park and the natural ground below you drums to the beat of your pace? Don't tell me you wouldn't be curious as hell to know how that can be possible. Well, you wouldn't be alone. Kevin and the gang had the same curiosity and began to dig. Refer back to that photo one more time. And my friends, you'll see that the left-hand side of this rectangle has been removed to reveal one hell of a cross-section. If you see distinct layers, you're not wrong. Let's dive right the fuck into them, shall we? Quote, the platform's unique design consists of four layers of carefully propelled. <laughs> Quote, the platform's unique design consists of four layers of careful, carefully prepared fills made of a diverse array of materials designed to enhance its percussive sound. These layers were made up of camelid guano and clean city clay, which were strategically interspersed to achieve a desired percussion effect. The carefully placed gaps within the dung layers contributed to the creation of a deep, bass-like sound that encircled the dance floor." End quote. From Laman Altuntas of Archeonews.net. My friends, you heard that right. A combination of silty clay, along with sand, ash, and poop from animals such as llamas and alpacas was strategically assembled and layered in such a way that if knocked on, would create a percussion effect, a drum, a beat. And where there's a beat, there's dancing, y'all. And uh, I know what you may be thinking. Wait, wait a minute. A dance floor? Are you sure? <laughs> Why? Why here? And just how old is this thing anyway? Great questions. Kevin and the gang did some clickety-clack calculations, and turns out this pre-Hispanic dance floor was probably made during what was called the Late Intermediate Period, which is a fancy way of saying sometime between 1000 and 1500 CE. And with all that wear and tear, and the history of the Chorcovos living in the area, its use probably extended into the Inca Imperial Period from 1400 to 1532, that's fucking impressive. But wait, there's more. People were still probably getting down on this land until it became an early Sp Spanish colony from 1532 to 1615. At that time, 1615, the site was abandoned and the surviving indigenous moved to the present day town of San Diego, south of here. My friends, this is one old motherfucking structure that's seen some shit and has been used for literally hundreds of years and still works to this day. How do we know? The team gave it a go. They, quote, acoustically tested the platform by stomping on it one at a time and in groups of two to four while measuring the noise produced. 
The same was done while in a circle of four people as they stomp danced across the platform. The resulting sounds ranged in an intensity from 60 to 80 decibels, roughly equivalent to a loud conversation and a noisy restaurant. Larger groups of Charkovos dancers, probably accompanied by singing and musical instruments, would have raised a much bigger racket. End quote from sciencenews.org. And I don't know about you, but I fucking wish I could have participated in this study. It sounds just like a lot of fun. Anyway, Kevin went on to add in his paper, as published in the September issue of the Journal of Anthropological Archaeology, that this dance floor may have been able to hold up to 26 people at a time. And if for some reason we need a reason for this dance floor to exist, other than for having a good time, Kevin provided a great theory, as summed up by Bruce Bauer of Science News. Quote, Supernatural convictions may have inspired ancient ceremonies at Viejo San Viejo that included stomp dancing aimed at emulating a thunder god's signature blast. In line with that suggestion, remains of a possible temple near the percussive platform included pottery pieces displaying snake images that in the local Kuchua, Kuchua language, I, clearly I nailed that, refer to water or rivers and in some instances, lightning, end quote. And indeed, my pop and business goose, turns out the dance floors do face a nearby mountain called Huancho Cruz. Legend has it, a god named Sasale, Sasela, Sasela Apo lives inside. And although not too much is known about Sasela Apo, shrines and other artifacts suggest this deity deals with lightning and thunder and is thus connected to weather. Kevin believes, quote, the sounding dance floor might have been employed as a means to directly emulate thunder through stomp dancing, such that the sound and accompanying music would equally honor the Charkovos thunder and lightning deity, end quote. From his study, pounding the ground for the thunder god, sounding platforms in the prehistoric Andes. <laughs> If anyone asks me what I'm doing tonight, I'm totally telling them I'm pounding the ground for the Thunder God. <laughs> and I am providing no context. <laughs> oh my God, okay. Ceremonial or not, it makes me so happy that people are having a good time with the fuck back then. I'm going to stop now. So thank you for rating, listening, <laughs> pounding the ground for the thunder god, and telling your friends about the fungus in a man's throat. Okay. I can do this. And the biggest belly rub to the folks over at Airwave Media, the podcast networks, <laughs> the podcast network to which WTI belongs. Oh, if you love this show, you're going to love the other podcasts in this family. Oh, and please, stay interesting. <laughs> <laughs>